So as we look at God's word this morning, I want you to know I did a little bit of reworking this morning. So if I stop making sense at some point, just ignore me and move on. Um, I, I, I did because what I found was this passage actually speaks more narrowly than I initially anticipated. See, I had a thought in my head that this was about general boldness for Christ, and it is, but what we're going to see this morning as we look at Acts chapters 3 and 4 together today, we're going to see that God is calling us to be bold in a very particular area, and that is in what we say. Now, some of you guys, you know me, I talk in my sleep. I talk from the moment I wake up until the moment that I go back to sleep. Like, this is just what I do. I've always been a talker. It runs in my family. If you know the other men in my family, my brother's a youth pastor, and he's a talker. Um, I was in Zimbabwe, and my dad had led a, a man to Christ on a mission trip when he had gone to Zimbabwe, and I was asking him about my dad, and one of the things that I asked him was, who talks me more, me or my dad? And he said, oh, your dad by far, okay? So um, I come from a long line of talkers. Some of you, though, don't like to talk. Some of you would go the entire day in silence if that was an option. But here's what I, I want us to see as we're looking at this. God is calling us, especially in these days, to be bold in what we say. In fact, what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the, the apostles there in a very cool story of how God worked. We're going to see them being bold in their speech to four different audiences. There's four different ways in which we see their boldness in their speech demonstrated through this passage. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning is looking at that. And as we do, by the way, you know, we're following up from last week where we saw that the church was growing and was healthy and was devoted to studying God's word and the apostles teaching and breaking the bread. They got together. Together and they fellowshiped and they did, uh, they did life together. They shared the gospel together. And now what we're seeing, one of the things we saw last week was that they would go to the temple every day, right? There were different times where they would meet together in the temple, just like the rest of the Jews would, and they would use those as opportunities to share the gospel. That's where we're going to find them this morning is on their way into the temple for the afternoon set of prayers. And so as we do, we're going to encounter Peter and John specifically being incredible incredibly bold with their faith. Now, as we go through, I'm going to summarize a lot because we're going to try, and some of you guys that know me well, we're going to try to summarize two chapters today, okay? Um, remember, we spent nine months in three chapters last year, and this year I'm doing two chapters in one message. So we'll see how it goes. As we're getting into this, though, what you'll notice is uh, the key verse that's really driving our study this morning is actually down in chapter 4, looking at verse 13. So Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, you don't know the context for this statement yet if you're not familiar with the story. We're going to go back and add that in. But here's what I want you to, to see. It says, when they, that's talking about the Sanhedrin, we'll talk who they are. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's our key idea for today. If you and I are going to be bold in our speech, in the way we talk to other people, and boldly represent Christ in a world that seems to be running headlong away from him, it will only come as you and I spend time with Jesus. Okay? Boldness comes from being with Christ. 
Now, like I said, we're going to try to look at this as we see the apostles. I'm going to kind of tell the story as we go through, and we'll, we'll read assorted passages of Scripture. So if you've got your Bible or if you've got the Bible app, um, go ahead and leave it open to Acts chapters 3 and 4, and we're going to be kind of going our way through there as we look at the four different audiences and the four different ways that we see the apostles speaking with boldness. By the way, like I said, I looked at the English word there, and I was thinking boldness, and they were bold to do this, bold to do that. But then I started looking, I got into a very interesting study on the nuances between courage and boldness, which is a fun one if you ever want to get into that and Google that. But then that led me to looking at the Greek word to see what was actually behind this. And the Greek word here is talking about not just a general sense of boldness and rushing headlong into things, but rather it's boldness in the way they talked. They talked with a confidence and with an openness, with a transparency. There was no uh, trickery in them. There was no deceit. They just told it like it was. And if there is anything that our world needs right now, it is believers who are willing to tell it like it is. You see, in some areas of life, it's becoming much more difficult for us to hold to biblical ideals. As we seek to walk in holiness in our personal lives, we're told by some that we're missing out on all that life has to offer. When we boldly and and unashamedly exalt God's design of genders being male and female and marriage as the union of one man and one woman for one lifetime, we're being told that we're bigoted and that we're on the wrong side of history. When we point to Christ alone as the only way to be saved, we're being called narrow-minded. And although it may be more difficult to stand for the truth of God's word than it has been in the past, there has never been a time where it's more important for us to, to speak to these things. By the way, Let me address those who sit there and say, ah, see, I knew, I knew you were going to talk about gay marriage. I knew you were going to talk about transgenderism. I knew you were going to, that's all you guys talk about. The reason we talk about this is because everyone's talking about it right now. Many of you guys are aware of the Equality Act and the legislation that's being considered by our national government, by our state and things like that. These are hot topics of what's going on. My job as your pastor is to help you see how and help you to continue to see. You got to do this on your own too. But part of my job is to help you to see how this connects to what you're reading on Facebook, what you're seeing on the AP news sites, what you're what you're watching on TV. To see how living out a life with Christ engages the way that we think about what's going on. So it's not that we want to harp on these things. It's that these are what our society is consumed with and they're missing the mark on the beautiful things that God has made. In embracing sin the way that our world is, they're missing out on the incredible way that God created the world and his design and his purpose. And by doing so, no matter how right it may feel, they're leading to damage and death. And it's our job, our calling, our responsibility to speak boldly to these things. The only way that you and I will be able to do that well, and by the way, there's a lot of other sins we could list, okay? I'm hitting these because that's what's in the news right now. It's not that these are worse sins necessarily than others. It's just what's being talked about, okay? Now, as we talk about this, you and I need to be very bold, but to do so in a way that points people to Jesus. There's a difference between brashness and boldness, We'll see that little bit nuance when we go through what the apostles actually said, although we will, I would say they were not really all that tactful. They were pretty direct in the way they addressed things. 
So now let's pick up the four different ways that we see them being bold in this passage. Starting here in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, what you find is that the apostles started out by being bold with those who needed help. Bold with those who needed help. As they're going into the temple, it was, you know, common. You've got church-going folks, right? It's kind of the idea. And so people are kind of in a mood to give and be generous. And so it was not uncommon for beggars to be outside the temple. And so here, as they are coming into the temple, they encounter a man that the Bible says has been lame since birth. His legs didn't work. He had to be carried everywhere he was. And he was set outside of one of the temple gates there as they were coming into the temple. Now, that man is there to try to receive alms. He's begging for money and needs it. I mean, he has no way to get around. There was no healthcare system like there is now. There was no Medicaid. There was no social security. He was disabled and had no way to have help. So he's there begging for what he needs. So now, here comes Peter and John. Look at how they respond to him. Jump down to verse uh, four, okay? Peter, along with John, two of the early apostles, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his, his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. Guys, can you imagine this? These men, as they walk up, they see this guy who's been, has been lame for, they, I think we find out later, for over 40 years, if I remember right. You're, no, that's a different story, sorry. He's been lame for his entire life, however long it's been. Peter and John are obviously popular people to some degree. You know, it's likely that some of the other apostles were there with them or, or some of the other early church. Remember, they had already had 3,000 people added to the church by this point. So people knew who these guys were and they stop and they look at this man and say, hey, look at me. Now, it's interesting because they don't just say, hey, hey man, here's, here's a fiver. They say, look, I, you want silver and gold? I, I don't have any. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Now, I, I love the moment. You ever picked somebody up and, and you did it a little more forcibly than you wanted to? <laughs> like, you know, you grab them by the, the wrist, you kind of lock thumbs, you know, and, and you just kind of yank them and they come up off their feet. You know what I'm talking about? I almost have that picture. Here this man is. He's never walked a day in his life. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he grabs him by the hand, picks him up by his feet. The man jumps up. He couldn't walk. So, you know, some of you guys think about it on a physiological standpoint here, right? So not only did God heal the physical structures, but how many of you have ever watched a kid try to walk for the first time or, or seen somebody who's been through a, a tremendous surgery or some kind of accident where they've had to relearn how to walk? You don't jump up and run on your first day. So not only did God feel, heal the physiology of it, he also helped him with the proprioception of knowing how to move in space and be able to walk and jump and run, in the very moment he's healed. Isn't it incredible to watch as God works and this man who's been broken for his entire life? But now it's interesting because as they do this, there's a boldness here. They didn't stop with, well, sorry, man, I'm all tapped out. <laughs> Got nothing for you. They recognized that what they actually had was greater than silver or gold, and actually was the answer to the man's deepest need. Now, guys, listen, we need to meet physical needs whenever we have the opportunity. 
We saw that clearly last week when we saw that the apostles and, and the early believers were selling everything that they had to meet needs so that nobody in the church was poor. We talked about that extreme radical generosity. And you can look to the book of James to again see that, that we are called to have an active faith that does meet physical needs. So we need to be about that. But as we meet those physical needs, we need to make sure that we're bold about why we're doing this. See, there's a lot of people out there who are philanthropic. Nobody gets mad at you for mowing their lawn for free, right? Nobody gets mad when you come over and shovel their sidewalk, unless you manage to like mess up their you know, bushes or something like that. And if so, you need to be more, more careful next time, right? There's an understanding that we're gonna do good things for you people. That nobody gets mad when you, they, you pay for somebody in the line behind you at the drive-thru, right? In fact, our culture celebrates this idea of doing random act of kindness. So here's where it gets hard though. Why did they heal this man? How did they heal this man? Well, it was in the name of Jesus Christ. They made no bones about the fact that we're not just doing a good deed for somebody. We're doing this as a representative of who Jesus is. That's where it gets tricky, doesn't it? It's easy to pay for somebody's meal behind you. It's harder to leave a a card with the attendant and say, hey, would you give this to them and for them to to get that card that says, hey, I wanted you to know that Jesus loves you with a URL on it to be able to find something or or a track that you leave with them and say, would you hand this to them? Yeah, well, what if the employee won't do it? Okay. Well, well, that, that could be an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, probably could be. But guys, at the same time, we need to be willing to share the same boldness that they showed in the way that they helped. How bold are you when it comes to telling people that what you did, you did because of what Jesus has done for you? See, we have the greatest motivation in history to do good things for other people. The Bible teaches us that we were created to have a relationship with God, but instead of doing what God called us to do, we turned our back on him and now are separated from him forever because of what we've done. We have no hope of getting ourselves back, but because God loves us so much, he died in our place, took my sin upon himself, rose from the dead, and now offers me his life. Now, There is no greater generosity that you could ever imagine than the God who gives me life to give himself so that I could have his life, right? There's no greater generosity there, and that should make us the most generous people in the world because of what Jesus has done by dying for us, being raised from the dead, and offering us his life. And now, as him as our Lord, our leader, our boss, our guide, we need to emulate that in everything we do. We make sure that as we do it, we are clear that we do this in the name of Christ. Now, I'm not, you know, you can be obnoxious, okay? But we want to be winsome in the way we do this. We don't want to be just rude or stupid or, you know, pelt people in the head with tracks. And for crying out loud, if I ever find you leaving a fake money tract, I'm going to hunt you down, um, if you do, you better leave a real $100 bill with that tip, okay? Like, do not, don't be gimmicky. Just share the gospel. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. Let them know that there's a God who died for them and who loves them. And if you do good things, make sure that they know why. Make sense? See, the apostles were bold with those who needed help. Now, it's interesting because as that goes out, by the way, a person's greatest need isn't food, money, or even shelter. A person's greatest need is their relationship with God through Christ's sacrifice. Again, that doesn't mean we ignore physical needs, but it means that we meet those needs and speak boldly about why we're doing what we're doing because of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
Now, it's not likely, by the way, that I could, you know, go over here to Carillion or go over to Lewis Gale and start walking down the hallway and say, hey, that guy's paralyzed from the waist down. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Remember, this is a transition period where God's doing things in the early church that he doesn't normally do now. Although I will say that God still does have the power to heal. God still does have the power to reconcile. God still does have the same power that he's always had. He just works slightly different now than he did then. Um, I, I know folks who've been prayed for and, and seen God miraculously heal them. I have no, no qualm about that whatsoever. But God doesn't seem to give the gift of healing like he used to, to the apostles, okay? However, God calls all of us to show kindness and compassion and grace and mercy and love and generosity and sacrifice to the world around us and to do so in the name of Christ. Clear on that? So first we see them bold with those who needed help. Then it continues because as you can imagine, this drew a crowd. You've got everybody coming in for their afternoon prayer time. And as they're coming in, you've got this man who used to be laying there on a mat, who people who've come regularly have seen this guy before. And all of a sudden, he jumps up and runs into the temple. That's going to draw a crowd. And as it does, what we see as we're spending time with Christ, we can't help but see that we're going to be bold about why we invest in the lives of others. By the way, where do you think they learned about this whole, like, being bold about helping people? From Jesus. There's at least 35 different individuals specifically mentioned in the Gospels that Jesus healed, not to mention all the times that it says, and they kept bringing sick people to them and he healed them. Jesus invested in people's lives. They knew it. They had seen it. They had walked with Jesus. So they were able to be bold in helping people because they had seen what Jesus had done. They'd been with Christ. So if you want to be bold in the way you help people, if you want to be bold in speaking about Christ as you do, then you're going to need to spend time with Jesus. They were bold because they'd been with Christ. Now, a crowd starts to gather. This is pretty incredible to watch. They've seen something that nobody could have imagined. So while he's holding on to Peter and John, verse 11, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what's called Solomon's colonnade. So as this group gathers, you're about to hear Peter just lay it out on the line. And what we're seeing is not only was he bold with those who needed help, he was also bold with those who have questions. Bold with those who have questions. That man was not sure exactly what had happened to him, and and neither was the rest of the crowd. They had questions about what God was doing, and they were trying to figure out what was up, what was happening, and they were incredibly bold in the way that they responded to it. They didn't take any kind of credit for it. They made sure that the people knew who was behind it. Look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, that that the crowd was coming together, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. Okay, Peter had zero chill here. You see this? I mean, we're within months of Jesus' death, and he's looking at the very people who were a part of that angry mob and said, guys, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We're witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. They keep going. They boldly declare, guys, this is all about Jesus. Now, we talked last week about the church having favor with the people. You remember that? We, we talked about how as they were radically generous with each other, that folks noticed and took notice of the fact that they were not like everybody else and that their lives had changed ever since their encounter with Christ. And, and so we said that that gave favor with all the people. 
And we talked about the fact that although we won't make everybody happy with the way that we live and not everybody's going to be pleased by everything that we do, at the same time, as you start living differently, people are going to notice. As you spend time with Christ, people are going to have a, a question about what's going on and why you're treating them this way, why you responded to your boss that way, why you worked so hard or why you're hanging on when your family's falling apart or why you're doing these things. As we spend time with Christ, we can be bold with those who have questions. By the way, you remember, guys, last week we talked about being an aroma of Christ, that the more you're around Jesus, the more you smell like him. We talked about a campfire. Um, The other day I was out back, and I was looking out our back window, and I could see behind my neighbor's building I saw smoke coming up, and I couldn't quite tell if it was the building or if it was something else. And so I ran over just to double-check and make sure everything was okay, and it turned out that they had a fire pit going or just burning some stuff. And it took me about three seconds of standing there before I walked back in the house and Samantha goes, whew, you were near a fire, right? You just pick up that smell, which by the way, I would wear for cologne all the time if I could. I, sawdust and smoke and, and none of the like, you know, Duke Cannon's got nothing on those real smells, man. These men had been with Jesus and they smelled like him, right? People could see it in the way they acted and the way they talked. So when they're like, what in the world just took place? What's Peter's response? Oh, it was Jesus. It had nothing to do with us. (laughs) Don't you love that? Why are you looking at me like I did something, man? This is the same God you were getting ready to go pray to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, this God who's exalted Jesus, uh, by the way, who you had killed, just for the record. And he calls them to faith in Christ. In fact, chapter four will tell us that that day many got saved, not everybody, but a lot of them did. So many that they went from, if you remember at the day of Pentecost, they said that there were 3,000 who were added to the church that day. By this point, they said there are 5,000 men, not counting the women, not counting the children, just counting the men. There were at least 5,000 men who now were a part of the church. So God was saving people left and right and left and right. Why? Because they'd been with Christ and they were being bold with those who have questions. I remember I had a friend that at one point was trying to sell a, um, it was a multi-level marketing health drink, okay? And he had pitched us on this drink and tried to get us to sign up and buy it, and he genuinely believed that it was helpful. It wasn't just a, you know, a sham. But I remember shortly thereafter, he tripped and had a hard fall. I mean, he hit the ground hard. And the next day, I, I saw him, and he's actually moving around really good, which for those of you who have a couple of years on you, you know that usually the day after a fall, you're not feeling real good. Well, he was doing really well. And so I asked him, I was like, so Jeff, was it the, was it the drink? Was that what, you know, helped you to back up? You know, just, I was giving him the softball, you know, laid it out for him to hit it. But he said, I, you know, I could say that. But honestly, he said, I, I don't know why, but, but for whatever reason, God kept me from getting hurt. You know, I, even when I could have just had him dismiss that and say, oh, yeah, it was, it was the drink. He was very quick to turn it and give God the honor and glory. Are you the same way? You know, you, you got a meeting at work and somebody comes up to you afterwards and says, man, you nailed that presentation. <coughs> You're right, I did. <laughs> Thanks, I put a lot of work into it. Or, man, I don't know how you kept your tongue. When he was chewing you out like that, man, I would have snapped back at him. Yeah, I know, I wanted to, but. Or do you go that next step and say, yeah, I wanted to, but you know what? When I look at all the dumb things I've done to hurt Jesus, Man, I can't act like that towards anybody else. 
Do you know about that? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Well, yeah, yeah, I grew up in church. Yeah, I know, but I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought about what Jesus did for you? Guys, that's all it takes. And you're into a gospel conversation. Sean, that feels really awkward. Yeah, it does. I mean, it really does. I'll be honest. See, I, I went to a seminary where I was required to do this every week I was in school. I had to, at the end of the semester, we had eight-week terms, and at the end of the term, I had to certify that I had shared the gospel in its entirety with an individual believed to be lost and giving them an opportunity to respond. So, like, it wasn't just enough to say, God bless you. Like, you actually had to go through the gospel and ask them, do you want to receive Christ? I had to do that on average one time a week for the eight-week term. And I had to do that for the entire three and a half years I was in seminary. And you know what happened? I got out of the habit. So I had the opportunity to share the gospel about a month ago. And I was like, I, and I, Jesus, uh, you, you know, I do this every week from the pulpit, right? And I'm standing here with a guy talking to him and I'm tripping over my words and it felt so awkward. But you know what? A couple weeks later, I had another opportunity to share the gospel Felt so much smoother that time. Got over that initial weirdness and got to where, you know, it's much more comfortable. Now, it will always be weird because you're looking at somebody and saying, hey, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, you're going to hell. Now, you don't typically put it in those words, although you might. I've told you before about my seminary professor who went to this guy, had tried multiple times to share the gospel with him. The guy had been antagonistic every single time. And so he finally looked at him and said, that's fine, you can go to hell and fry like a sausage for all I care. This is the seminary president and evangelist who came in to do a revival meeting and that's what he told this lost guy. He said, I walked out and I, I repented of that and I said, God, I'm so sorry. But it, you know, we had a meeting that night. There was no way I could get to him or, or make that right. So I preach the meeting that night. I give the invitation, and the first man down the aisle is that man. And I said, this is what Dr. Allison, our, our seminary president, said. After all these times I've shared the gospel with you, I walk into your office and I tell you, you can go to hell and frolic a sausage for all I care, and this is the time you get saved. What was it that did it? He said, Gray, I tell you, I kid you not, I walked in the house tonight after work, and there my wife was standing over the stove with a pan of sausages. And I looked at her and said, honey, we're going to church. <laughs> now, don't use that method, but be bold to share the gospel wherever, whenever with people who have questions. Now, I think here's the, the rub for us. Most of us would be fine with this part, right? Like getting to share the gospel, you know, when you've got some, some child that God's been working on their heart, and you just get to make sure that they know for sure what they're talking about. It's easy and it's fun. Or when you've got somebody who just seems to be hungry to know Jesus, it is so much fun to tell them about Christ and, and to give them that hope. And, and we know we can't save anybody. So you just get to be the, the mouthpiece that God uses to draw them to himself. And that's, it's just awesome. But see, the rest of us are worried about the next part. Not only are we going to be bold with those who have questions, we need to be bold with those who are not happy with what we're saying. Bold with those who oppose. See, there was a crowd that day and lots of people got saved. But what also happened was there were a lot of people who got mad. If you look down at chapter 4, verse 1, while they were speaking, the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. I love this, because they were annoyed <laughs> that they were teaching the people 
and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That group, the Sadducees, by the way, they didn't believe in resurrection. So they're really irritated that they've obviously healed somebody. This is something they can't deny. And now they're saying it's Jesus. Oh, by the way, who were the people that really convinced Pilate to kill Jesus? Uh, Yeah, it was the temple priests. It was the temple police. It was the Sadducees. These guys, like these are the actual men who would have been responsible for Jesus's death as far as getting Pilate to actually kill him, okay? These are the guys, And they're really not happy that you're saying, by the way, y'all put the Messiah to death. See, you got to understand, if you don't know your your Old Testament, it's okay, but you got to understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecies that God had been giving for over a thousand years. And these were the religious leaders who were supposed to be able to recognize what was going on, and they totally missed it. And that's what Peter and John were saying. So what do they do? They get annoyed, and they get arrested, right? Peter and John get arrested, and thrown in prison. It was late, so they weren't going to have court that night, so they decided to bring him up the next day before them. Now, listen to Peter's boldness the next morning at the trial. Start with me down in verse 7. After they, that's that whole religious leader group, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? I love this. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders... If we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by people two people by which we must be saved. You want to talk about zero chill? Peter's not holding any punches. He's literally looking at the men who put Jesus to death, who had the power and authority, as we'll see with Stephen, there's a riot that takes place when he gives a similar kind of defense, and he is put to death. He knows that they killed Jesus, and he points the finger in their face and says, Jesus, the one that you killed, has healed this man. And by the way, there is salvation in no other name under heaven. Putting a quick pause on kind of our idea of where we've been talking about boldness here, you need to understand that this is not a theoretical truth. If you're here today and you've not yet received Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you've not yet put him in charge of your life, there is no other way for you to be saved. It's not by being a good person. It's not by coming to church or doing good godly things or being really nice to people. The only way for you to be saved is to surrender your life and put it in Jesus' hands, the one who died for you, who took your sin and was raised so that you could have new life. If you're watching this online or if a friend forwarded you this message, there is no way for you to be saved apart from a relationship with Jesus. That's why Romans chapter 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now, um, Jamie, back up to that first verse there. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is not a magical Harry Potter-esque kind of spell that all you got to do is say the three words, Jesus is Lord, and all of a sudden you're saved. 
What he's saying is, if you are confessing with your mouth, if you're willing to own up to it and boldly say, Jesus is in charge of my life. I'm not in charge anymore. I'm surrendering to him. I'm confessing him as my Lord. And that's coming out of a heart that has a genuine trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, then you will be saved. So it's not enough to just, you know, kind of pray to sinner's prayer at the back of a tract, just to kind of go through like it's some kind of magic spell. This is confessing from a heart that's been transformed that Jesus is now my Lord, my leader, my boss, my master, the one in charge of my life. If you've never done that, you can do it right now where you are, and you can be saved. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. We'll give you a time to make that public, by the way, at the end of the service. But my question for you is, are you willing to be that bold with those who oppose what God's doing? Now, we're not being brash. We're not being rude. We're not being dismissive. We're just writing it down tall, plain, and straight, as Adrian Rogers used to say. We're telling it like it is, boldly and confidently, even if people oppose. See, it's that declaration, that boldness, that's what led to the verse that we said is our key verse, verse 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, realized that they were untrained and uneducated men. That doesn't mean, by the way, that they'd never had any schooling. It means that they'd never had formal schooling and and logic and rhetoric and being able to, to speak well in public. And they'd not been through a rabbinic school at this point. Primarily, it would have been the rabbinic schools that they'd been looking at. These guys didn't have that formal education background, and yet they give an incredibly well-ordered response here. They were uneducated, they were untrained men, and yet they were bold to declare, and that's when they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Do you want the boldness to be able to not be a jerk about Jesus, but to be transparent and open and stand for the faith to answer those who have questions, to help those who have need, and do all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, it only comes when you spend time with him. Everything they had seen from Jesus is exactly what they're doing. They're modeling exactly what they had seen Jesus teach. It's exactly what we have for us in the Gospels as accounts of what Jesus has done, and we're called to do the same thing. Bold with those who need help. Bold with those who have questions. Bold with those who oppose. And then finally, we see that they're not only bold there, they're bold in prayer. They're bold in prayer. It's interesting. As soon as the the Sanhedrin kind of dismisses them and talks for a minute, the Sanhedrin, by the way, is the the name for all these religious leaders when you put them all under one big umbrella. They They were kind of the Supreme Court for the Jews. So, they take a minute to kind of talk through things, and they say, well, it's obvious that God's done something, and the people believe this is some kind of sign and miracle. We can't really say much about that. So they call Peter and John back in and say, okay, just don't do this again, <laughs> right? That's, that's the best they can do. They can't really punish them because everybody knows something's happened here. They, they can't get mad at them but so much, so they say, all right, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter responds, well, if it's better, let's read it instead of me butchering it, okay? Peter and John answered them, verse 19 of chapter four, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. <laughs> for we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. I mean, y'all are the religious leaders, right? You're the high priest. Uh, you know, if we're supposed to obey you instead of God, that's up to you. But 
we can't stop. I love it. I mean, just, especially because he's a good old country boy. Peter's a fisherman. He puts his foot in his mouth all the time, but when he's not, he's saying great things. They immediately leave from there, and instead of going home and saying, man, what a day, they go and they find the other folks at the church. They're probably gathered at somebody's house because they didn't have church buildings back then, but they find them and they report to them everything that happened and they rejoice over what they'd seen. They start praying in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God and said, Master, you're the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and why do peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For, in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Now, by the way, guys, there's seven verses in this prayer. We just read the first five. What have they asked God for in the first five? Not a thing. The overwhelming majority of their time in prayer is spent reflecting on who God is, what he has said in his word, and what he's done. I'm afraid for us, a lot of times our prayers are just grocery lists. We sit down and say, God, I need you to do this, I need you to do this, and pick up the dry cleaning on the way home, right? Instead, they spent the bulk of their time reflecting on what God had done. You know why? Because they'd been with Jesus. You may not know enough yet to be able to fill that time Get with him, read his word, follow him, step out in faith and be bold. Do crazy stuff that makes people worried about you because you love Jesus. Now, don't just be weird for being weird's sake, right? Some of you can't help that. I know I can't. Be bold for Christ. So we see their boldness in their prayer because then when they finally do get to asking God for things, what would you ask God for? Okay, you just got arrested. You just got told, don't preach in Jesus' name again. We're probably gonna arrest you again. It may not go so good for you the next time. What would you pray? I think most of the time we'd pray, God, would you change the heart of the the Sanhedrin and, and give us favor with them so that we can keep preaching in the temple? And by the way, they pray things like that later on. They do. We'd say, God, would you protect us from getting arrested again? God, would you even either save them or or strike them dead, right? What do they pray for? Verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. What do they ask? God, keep making us bold. And then, by the way, they go on to verse 30. He says this, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, you keep working and you keep doing. Just keep us bold. Just keep us bold. Now, there are times, like I said, when Peter gets arrested, we find the church praying for his release. But in this instance, they didn't pray for release. They didn't pray for the trials to stop. They didn't pray for favor. They prayed for Guys, I'm worried about the Equality Act. I'm concerned about a lot of the legislation that I see coming down through the pipe right now. 
I subscribed to an email a few weeks ago that I'm probably going to unsubscribe from because it's not good for my blood pressure. It gives me a list of daily headlines about things that are being uh, considered and things that are being said, and it bothers me that it's now Potato Head, not Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, it's a thing. Look it up if you haven't seen it yet. Now, it doesn't bother me because I'm bigoted and I'm, I'm... It bothers me because of the way I know that God designed the world to work, and we're exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and we're worshiping the created thing instead of the God who made it. I've been tempted, you know, and I've been praying, God, change the hearts of the legislature. God, change the hearts of all of us when we start turning away from you. God, change our hearts as believers when we become too stingy and too closed in and not generous. God, change our hearts when we close off the idea that maybe there are things that we need to be doing as far as racial tension is concerned. God, change our hearts in all these things, but maybe the prayer needs to be, God, just keep us bold. God, just keep us bold. That's a bold prayer, guys. That's a big statement. Because you know what that means? We're going to keep talking about Jesus even if we get arrested again. Not much time passes before they are arrested again. They get beaten. Not much time passes before Stephen's killed, before James is killed. By the way, of of the original 11 apostles that we, we have here, only one died a natural death, and he likely died in exile. Peter was crucified upside down, tradition tells us, because he didn't feel worthy to die the way his master did. Me, I read a headline on the Associated Press and I get upset. Guys, I need to spend more time with Jesus. And I would imagine you probably do too. Because we need to be bold. We need to be bold with those who need help. And say, not only are we doing these things because we love you, we're doing these things because Jesus loves you. We need to be bold in answering questions of why are you the way that you are because Jesus is who he is. Even when that means that we have to defend the faith against those who oppose And that's going to require us coming boldly before God in prayer, saying, God, I need your strength because I'm not cut out for this. I don't know if you guys realize this. I hate confrontation. Like, I I like when everybody likes me. That's, That's one of my big things that I have to fight with. I don't like people being mad at me. But I can't not say this because of who God is and what he's done. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take some time to corporately reflect on Jesus' death for us. If you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would encourage you. What we're going to do is we're going to give ourselves uh, some time to prepare our hearts. So I'm going to invite Daniel and whoever else is coming back up from the team to be able to come up and sing with him. 
We're going to take some time and we're going to sing a very familiar song. If you grew up in a Baptist church, the song, Just As I Am. Although you will notice this is a slightly different version. There's a chorus in the middle of it that talks about some of the ways when we come to Christ, what we're bringing with us, what we're asking God to do. So I'm going to ask Daniel and Morgan to lead us in that. During that, if you need to talk with me, then I'll be down front. and I'd love to talk with you about following Jesus. If before you take the Lord's Supper, the the Bible tells us that we're supposed to examine our hearts and make sure that we're not walking in sin in some way that would cause us to to be disqualified from being able to take it with a clear conscience. If you need to do business with God, then, you know, if you you sit or you don't sing or you can make these steps an altar if you want to get right with God, that like as a physical outward manifestation of what's going on in your heart, there's nothing holy about these steps. They're carpeted just like everything else. But sometimes there is something about us going forward and, and making that volitional act in kind of a bold way. So what I want to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to have Daniel and Morgan lead us in this song. And then as we conclude, then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. In fact, um, Mike, can you go on back and grab the kids from Children's Church as we sing? Father, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful that we live in a country where we do have the freedom to be bold right now with really without too much repercussion. We thank you that you've given us that freedom. We know that the world needs to hear who Jesus is. So God, we want to spend time with you. You've given us this picture of the Lord's Supper, of Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed for us as the sign of the covenant that we've have with you through Jesus' death and resurrection. You've given this to us as the church to be able to partake together to celebrate all that Christ has done. So would you prepare our hearts now to be able to take this well? If there's somebody here who's not yet made that decision or may have made that decision while we were preaching today to follow you, would you help them to nail that down Prepare our hearts to take the supper together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.